Well, good morning. It is good to see each of you in person, and I'm glad that many of you are joining us online. I just want to remind you of our Faith Life app and uh, the various uses that it has. If you, uh, if you want to start challenging Gene Hoffman on Bible trivia before the service, that'd be great. She needs some competition, so uh, you can find that in the Faith Life app uh, before the service, going to our digital bulletin. So in the Faith Life app, you'll see a little church icon. You can go into those. It has a couple of categories. Right at the top is the bulletin. And in the bulletin, you will get all the things that are going into the service, that trivia, uh, the, the outlines and slides and lyrics. And so at home, uh, if you want to follow along with that, or right here in the building, you can follow along with that as well. It will give you uh, links to our scripture text, which is going to be Second Peter in chapter 3. And uh, it will also have a connection card that you can fill out. And we just invite you uh, to fill that out to let us know that you're here. That just helps us keep records up to date. It keeps us informed of uh, best ways to communicate with you and things we can pray about. And so uh, one of the ways that we can stay connected in this time, especially as we're working at getting reconnected, is uh, praying for each other, just uh, as the Lord lays each other on our hearts, but a good way to help us know how to pray is just to respond to that connection card in the bulletin. So I hope that you'll do that and uh, that you'll find the other resources there in Faith Life uh, to just help you stay connected to all that's going on in the life of our church. Well, we've been in a series that uh, we've been looking at shared member values. So uh, just over a year ago, we revised our church constitution and, and put in there some explicit statements of what we value, what we hold dear here, how we think we navigate uh, life together. So uh, if 2020 has taught us anything, uh, I hope that it's teaching us that we need each other. Um, Isolation has been very hard, and it has taken its toll in many ways, and uh, we are working to come out of that, so I just want to remind you that we had a meeting uh, just a couple weeks ago. We will have a meeting at the end of April, and we'll talk about how we're going to proceed at that meeting, but um, it's hard to believe, but Easter is just right around the corner. And we're just encouraging you, if you haven't been at church in person for a while, that April 4th, Easter Sunday, would be a Sunday that you would come. Uh, We're going to stay masked just because we believe that's the best way we can get the most people here at one time. And so we're just hoping that we would see a regathering of our fellowship here. And so as we work toward regathering, praying for each other uh, is just a good reminder of how we can connect, but also thinking about these values. What, what do we want our connections to be like? And so we were talking about affirmation, just declaring what is true about one another. And that's a practice that we have to get into. It's, it's a practice that not only requires grace, it requires an amount of grace to affirm each other in what's true because we don't always feel like what is true is true. Have you ever experienced that where maybe you feel something but your feeling is not quite accurate, it's not quite right, it doesn't really get you to the truth? 
So grace is needed in those moments, and we can probably look at any relationship in our life and understand how grace is needed. Well, that's true in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It comes by grace alone. And so we've read some texts already this morning that have focused our hearts and minds on grace, which is our second value. Now, if you've gone back to look at the Constitution to say, really, are these our shared member values? And you've seen them in a little different order. Just know that I'm starting at the bottom of the list because I believe that they work up toward what is our goal, which is unity. Our unity together is what defines us as God's people. It's the display of what is true about us in our relationship with Christ, which brings us into this relationship with one another. And so we started at affirmation. What can we declare that's true about us? And and what really hinders those things? And now we've come to grace, and we've seen Jesus in action, this incredible picture of grace with Zacchaeus. But you could open up to many of the stories in the gospel and see Jesus walking in grace. Then last week we talked about how grace really flows out of the person and work of the Holy Spirit in us. And we started to try to get our hands around what is grace. Well, I just thought I'd give you a few other definitions of grace. B.B. Warfield says, Grace is free, sovereign favor to the ill-deserving. Free, sovereign favor. That means the God of the universe shows you favor in your life. And not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, but simply because he is gracious. Last week we said that grace is a perspective. It's it's how we kind of put meaning to this word as we look at the multifaceted, multidimensional nature of who God is. We can't separate his grace from his mercy, from his love, from his forgiveness, from his other attributes and characteristics. He is grace. John Stott says, grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. Again, I go, that's what we see in Jesus over and over and over again. We see him caring for, stooping down to, and rescuing people. And that's what he does for us. That's God's grace in our life, that God cares for us. He has stooped down toward us and he's rescued us. That is his grace to us. Author Jerry Bridges says, Grace is God reaching downward to people who are in rebellion against him. Now, that doesn't mean he's looking down, because in the story of Zacchaeus, we saw Jesus never looks down on anyone. He looks up or he looks into, but he reaches down. He's reaching down to people who are in rebellion against him. The heart condition of every human being is to rebel against God. Because we have desired to be God. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. That's what happens in every human heart since then. We desire to be God. We desire to be in control of our lives. We desire to be the sovereign ruler of all that comes into our lives. And yet that's impossible. And so God, even in light of our defiance, reaches down 
toward us. Paul Zoll, who is another author, pastor, he says, grace is unconditional love toward a person who does not deserve it. Unconditional love. God reaches down to us with unconditional love. This is love. Not not that we loved him first, but he loved us. And even when we were rebellious, even when we were his enemies, Christ laid down his life for us. Grace. Our, Our whole Christian existence is built on grace, on the grace of God. This morning, uh, just my big idea for this morning is, is experiencing the grace of Christ leads to living out the life of Christ. When, when we experience the grace of Christ and respond positively to that, maybe that ought to be the caveat phrase, that, that we respond positively to that, then we can live out in greater and greater clarity the life of Christ in us. So with that caveat in mind that that we need to respond rightly to God's grace, to his extension of love, to him reaching down to us, to him uh, showering us with love and care and stooping down to rescue us, his sovereign favor upon us, how ought we to respond to that? Well, we'll get there in a minute. How shouldn't we respond to that? I had several conversations this week that led to Romans 6. I was talking to a young person about baptism. I was uh, talking to a brother about just some ongoing struggle in his life. I was talking to someone who, I'm not sure they're a believer or not, but we were working through what that might mean. And we came to Romans 6 where, where Paul says, hey, do we go on sinning so that grace may abound? So Paul in Romans has already built out this argument. In Romans 1, the world is in a desperate state. Romans 2, it's a missed the mark, it's offended God. Romans 3, it's in all of us. Romans 4, God has a plan. Romans 5, God is enacting his plan and we see justification by faith come on the scene and a response to his grace to us to move toward him. But Paul goes, wait a second, what I see in some or what may be the struggle is that we go on sinning. So how do we know if we're responding right to the grace of God, that we're experiencing that in the way that it is intended? There's a tenderness in our heart towards sin. We're we're sensitive towards sin, and we want to get rid of it. If sin just kind of continues on in your life, then I'd ask, have you experienced God's grace? If there's a continual struggle that feels like you don't care about that, that's your willful choice, then I'd say, have you experienced the grace of Christ? And I would just invite you this morning, if you find yourself in that place where you go, man, I really have struggled, or I continue on, or I just haven't seen kind of that life of Christ in me, I would invite you that God stands ready to extend you grace. His grace is always available. 
and his grace never runs out. And as we ended last week, all we have to do is we have to come to him and ask, Lord, would you extend your grace to me and help me to receive it by faith? that I might be saved and forgiven and adopted as your child, that I might have hope and greater and greater victory, and that I might live this life of Christ. Because when we experience the grace of Christ, we live in the life of Christ. Zacchaeus, again, is a wonderful example Because we see a response in him. He experiences the grace of Christ and something has radically changed. He begins to live differently. We looked at how the Holy Spirit then continues to compel that in our lives. That the Holy Spirit makes that real. He takes the recipe and turns it into this wonderful flavor in our mouth. He's not the postcard. He makes it real in our lives. And so when Peter opens this letter, as he does both of his letters, 1 and 2 Peter, both open with, may the grace and peace of God be multiplied to you. He's saying, hey, I want you to experience the grace of God over and over and over in your lives in a way that compels you to peace and right living, in a way that compels you to live out this life of Christ, in a way that enables you to live out this life of Christ. And so it shouldn't be surprising to us that he closes that letter of Second Peter with an encouragement along those lines. So in 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 14, he says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. I want to just say, as he says, therefore, beloved, this letter has included some admonition against false teachers, those that are continuing to reject the grace of Christ, those that are trying to add to it or manipulate it or to just try to make it fit differently. There's much going on in these people's lives, and we don't know for sure who Peter's writing to, but we know that evil people have gotten in their midst, and they're trying to teach them things other than the grace of Christ. And he says, so therefore, those of you who have experienced the grace of Christ, that you're working to live out the life of Christ, remember this first and foremost, you are beloved. The love of God poured out to you is grace. And it's multiplied to us over and over and over and over again. So I want you to hear this morning, wherever you're at, you are loved by God. You are beloved. And it's so important that we remember that. Peter is telling these people, hey, you already know this. I just want to remind you of this again. I'm so glad that I was encouraged to never tell Aaron just once that I love her. 
you know, once is enough, right? You said it the day you were married, I love you. And of course, that just carries on out for, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Oh, it's so good for us to hear that we are loved. It's grace. It's grace to us. That God would declare over and over and over again that we are loved is grace to us. And as we communicate our love for one another, that is part of living the life of Christ. It's it's living out of that grace that we've been shown. It's extending that grace to one another. And that's what Peter is getting at. He's saying, remember that you're loved. Since you are waiting for these. For what? What are they waiting for? Well, just in the section right above this, he's unpacked that we're waiting for what is to come. We're waiting for the promises, all of the promises of God, which are yes and amen in Jesus Christ, to be finally and fully fulfilled. We're waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. And what a glorious day that will be when Jesus comes again and establishes once for all, for all eternity to come, his right rule and reign in the new heaven and the new earth where everything is made right. Man, coming through 2020, I have a greater hunger in my heart for that day. And I'm sure that that happened in subsequent generations, in in many generations both previous, and it will happen in other generations. I don't know if my children or if their children will look back on 2020 and say, yes, that made me hunger for the day heaven comes. But in my life, in my time, as I've experienced that, I go, oh, Lord, come quickly. It's just given a clearer picture of that prayer and revelation, Lord Jesus, come. There have been other points in history that have stirred that in the hearts of God's people. But waiting, waiting is hard, isn't it? And so I'm thankful that Peter begins with, hey, remember that you're loved because in the midst of waiting, we can tend to forget that. And that's God's grace to us to say, hey, you're loved and I realize that you're waiting. Now, in just a second, we're going to see that waiting is grace too. But let's see what his hope is for us in the waiting. Since you are waiting for these, the new heavens and the new earth, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. That whole idea of spot and blemish would have brought to mind for many of the readers of this letter the whole sacrificial system. That that a lamb that was to be brought as a right sacrifice was to be without spot, spot or blemish. Or if you want to just say splot, that kind of gets them both together. Spot and blemish, splot. But that's God's desire in our lives, that we would live... In an upright way. Be diligent. Be diligent. That word diligent is sometimes a hard word and it introduces attention in our faith. The, the Christian faith is so often tension. 
And, and when I think about tension, I often do this because I feel like we're holding two poles in tension. And yet, I, I thought of something else yesterday. We were painting. We had a work day. We were painting the youth room ceiling. I was pouring out paint, and Dave Goding enlightened me to say that, that um, liquid condenses its space based on its electrical charge. Now, I don't understand that. Thankfully, Dave Goding does, and it was cool. You know, every time we poured paint then... We watched the paint go from a a wide section down into a narrow section, and that's how you can get paint poured into a bucket, you know? It's actually a pretty helpful thing. And and then I said, because we were thinking, you know, we were painting, and just, you know, when painting, you just kind of think about things. I said, hey, that kind of relates to surface tension, doesn't it? He goes, yes, exactly. And I felt like, okay, I'm actually starting to understand something, but I'm not sure what. But I'm fascinated by surface tension. Have you ever poured a cup of coffee, like right to the brim, or a glass of water right to the brim, and it bubbles over the top of the glass just a little bit, and you're like, it's going to spill over, and it doesn't? Okay, scientifically, and again, I'm way out of my league. I'm way over my skis. I probably should ask Caleb Copeland to explain this, but... um, But the water molecules in, or liquid molecules, whatever it is, they bind to each other. They're like magnets. But when you get to the top, they don't have anything above them to bind to, but they still have the same energy. So they go, I got to be bound to something, but I can't bind to what's above me, so I'll bind extra strong to what's beside me. And it holds that curve of liquid above the brim of the glass. Or if you're really careful, you can set something on there and the surface tension is so strong. It's a good thing to remember camping season is coming up. Your tent works on surface tension. The way that it keeps water out because it's not perfectly waterproof But the way that your tent keeps water out is by allowing it to bubble and surface tension holds it from going through the fibers of your tent until what, if you've been camping? Somebody touches the tent. Don't touch the tent! But we live in this tension in Christianity which is kind of like surface tension. It's holding some things together that are on the verge of kind of spilling over. And one of these ideas is how the grace of God relates to our lives as this free, acceptable gift that transforms us. Like his love is his grace, his forgiveness is his grace, his mercy is his grace, the Holy Spirit is his grace to us. And yet over and over and over in scripture, we're called to be diligent And there's this tension between what God does and how we participate in that. So we are saved by grace alone, completely by grace alone. That is a work of God in your life that you really have nothing to do with. And yet we're to enter into that, believing that, walking in that, running in that, striving for that, being diligent in that. Grace is a work of God. It's something that we experience in Christ that is intended then to propel our life in Christ. 
are living out our day-to-day activities. And so Peter says, I I want you to understand you are loved and that's the grace of God to you. He's multiplying grace and peace to you over and over and over again. It's without end. It's freely available. And be diligent. It's a hard thing to hold in tension. We can go over the edge of the glass either way. We can say it's all about God's grace. doesn't matter what I do. Or we can say, I have to work my knuckles to the bone in order to receive his grace. And both extremes are wrong. We've been given God's grace. It's undeserved. It's unmerited. And we are called over and over and over to walk in that, to live in that, to be on guard for that that we'll see in a minute. To be diligent, to be participatory in intentional ways. So he says, hey, so that you could be found by him. When he shows up to establish the new heaven and the new earth, that you would be found as spotless, without blemish, and at peace. Now, um, that again, that phrase is interesting because I think we can take it a couple of different ways, that, that we have this kind of inner tranquility in ourselves. And the grace of God multiplied to us should bring about that kind of shalom is the Hebrew word. Shalom is this word that is almost impossible to define, really. It's, it's hard to get our hands around, and yet it, it is this settled confidence, no matter what. Oh, that we would be people at peace that our experience of the grace of God would so calm our hearts that no matter what we face, we face it as people at peace. Not anxious, not fearful, not fretting, but settled, confident, secure. But I think he's actually using this in another way. I think there's turmoil that's been stirred up in this group of people. Uh, Some of that is because of false teachers, but some of that is because as we experience God's grace, sometimes we can get constipated. We stop giving that grace to one another. And what that breeds is dissension. That, that, That breeds this dysfunction in our body because All that we do in Christ is built on grace. And so our whole relationship with one another is built on grace. Those bonds of water molecules that help hold that tension on the top of a glass that is just about to spill over is dependent on those molecules being connected to one another. And it's in our exercise and expressions of grace to each other. In our acceptance, not in a way that we say, hey, that doesn't matter. You just keep on doing what's wrong. That's okay. No, no, no. That's not really grace. God's grace doesn't come to us and say, do whatever you want. That's what Paul says in Romans 6. Do we keep on sinning? No, that means that we're not understanding God's grace. And so grace is coming, it's reaching out a hand, it's stooping down, it's rescuing, it's loving, it's helping, caring for. 
But when we receive that and experience that from God, but we don't show that to one another, things break down and all of a sudden peace is threatened. And so Peter is here saying, hey, you're loved. That's a grace of God. You're waiting. Yes, I know that that's hard, but we're going to see why that's a grace of God in a minute. So be diligent in God's grace as you intentionally participate in what God is doing in your life. Show each other grace so that you can be, as a people, at peace. Is there peace between us? I believe that we've been given a rare opportunity. I believe that a pandemic is the church's rare opportunity to just take a step back. We've, we've been put on hold for quite a while. We've been separated, and that has had some detrimental impact on us, and yet we're coming together in a new way, different, fresh. And we have some choices that we can make. The, the page is kind of cleaner than it's ever been as we re-enter this year. We're having conversations about ministries, uh, about what should we start and what shouldn't we restart. How do we go about that? And what do we really want to focus on? And as, as leaders, we just keep coming back to, man, we want to focus on, are we healthy together? Are we together? Are we able to show each other grace? Are we living in these values that we are saying are core to who we are, that we share together? Are we pursuing the Lord together in healthy ways? Are we at peace And in the waiting, as we realize that the world is not quite right yet, there are all kinds of threats to our peace, individually and corporately. And I'm praying, and our leaders are praying, and we're talking about how do we help one another to come back together in ways that will really bring about peace between us. There will need to be confession and repentance. I'm sure of it. Only because we're human. But there's grace. There there will need to be uh, restoration in relationship. There will need to be forgiveness and new understanding and rebuilding of relationship as we come back together. Partly because we're going to have to remember how to be together again. Like we've forgotten how to be social people to some degree. We're going to have to relearn that. And I hope that we're going to relearn that in some really biblical ways that we can extend grace to one another in different ways. That we can experience God's grace in our life and then extend that to others. That's what brings about peace. So we're to be diligent in how we're walking out our experience of grace, how we're living into our life of Christ. We're to be diligent about the peace that is around us in this place. And count, verse 15, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. 
just as our beloved brother also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them about these matters. Now, this is a, a, an interesting nod to Paul. Okay, the, the last time that we've seen Peter and Paul together or heard some things about them, they were having an argument in Galatians and uh, in the book of Acts. We uh, get Paul's take on that in Galatians. But they're arguing over Peter's behavior, his lack of grace for the Gentiles. P- Peter had been shown such grace in his life. Peter's the one that denies Christ three times. Even when Jesus tells him, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter goes, no way. I'm all the way in. I'm going to the end with you. And then he finds himself denying Christ and it crushes him. And then some days later, they've gone back to fishing because they think all is lost. Jesus is gone. They don't know what's going on. They go back to their fishing boat and, and Peter sees somebody over on the shore and he's convinced that is Jesus. Jumps into the water, swims to shore, and Jesus and Peter have a conversation in which Jesus extends grace to Peter. And Peter afresh is like, yes, I'm on fire. He experiences God's grace and it dramatically impacts his life. Fast forward, now there's a situation where Gentiles are being brought into the body of Christ, which is, you know, really God's plan from the beginning. We see that in Abraham. We see that provision in the law. We see that in Jesus as he's expanding the definitions of his kingdom. We see Paul just light on fire for the Gentiles, and he goes after the Gentiles and starts bringing them in by grace. But then Peter and some from Jerusalem come down to... uh, to see what's going on, and, and they're coming to break bread together. And Peter goes, I, I can't do that with Gentiles. I, I don't have enough grace for that. And Paul basically says, you hypocrite. What do you mean? This is the picture of God's grace that Jew and Gentile could come together in this way and be the picture of God's kingdom. That's a picture of grace. It's fairly safe to think that Second Peter is written uh, 10, 15 years after the book of Galatians. And, and, and so I think it's fair to assume that there's been reconciliation between Peter and Paul and that this is evidence of it. Peter's saying, hey, Paul's an all right guy. You know what he says in all of his letters? It's good stuff. You know what Paul says in virtually all of his letters? God has grace for you. In all but one of his letters, he begins and ends with grace to you. Grace. And why? Because we're waiting. But even that we're to see as grace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. God does not desire that any should perish. And so God has waited to bring about the final fruition of his kingdom. He's patiently endured evil so that others would come to him through his grace by faith. Waiting 
is grace. Peter gives a little bit of commentary on Paul. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist for their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Okay, we've all read some of Paul somewhere that we've gone, what? What is he talking about? And to some degree, that's just the nature of letters. Like we just read 1 Corinthians in our Bible reading plan. What? There's so much in 1 Corinthians that I just go, Paul, I don't, I don't understand what you're communicating. Well, why? Because we only get one side of the story. Because we have no idea what's going on in Corinth, really. We have some historical perspective, but we don't know the players. And, and that lack of insight makes some of those things difficult to understand. Peter goes, yeah, I get it. And the temptation is to twist some of those things. Let's be careful. Let's be careful not to do that. You, verse 17, it's an emphatic you. The NIV takes it out. I don't know why, but it's an emphatic you. He's saying, you who believe these things, you who have experienced the grace of Christ, you, Again, can I ask, have you experienced the grace of Christ in your life? Being a rebellious sinner, he reached down and extended grace. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced just the grace of God this week in our waiting for that day? I have. The sun came up most mornings this week. Oh, actually, it came up every morning this week. Isn't that amazing? Thankful for the health of my family. I'm thankful for a good marriage. Not a perfect one, but a good one. I'm thankful for kids that love the Lord, that open the word, that talk about it. I'm thankful that we've had the ability to bring my parents into our home. I'm thankful for people who showed up to work day. I'm thankful for so many things. And in all of those things this week, it's God's grace multiplied to us over and over and over again. No, the world's not perfect. We're still waiting. We still feel the tension of waiting. And yet God multiplies His grace to us over and over and over again. You want to experience His grace right now? Take a breath. Just breathe. God's grace to you. You, those who have experienced God's grace, His general grace, His specific grace and salvation through His Word that He illuminates by His Spirit. If you've experienced God's grace, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care 
that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability. Take care. That phrase is the same phrase that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 16 where he says, be on your guard. Take care, be watchful, be aware, be alert to what's going on around you because really our hearts are so easily deceived. And in waiting, in this time where things are not as they should be, waiting is a risky place to live. And so Peter says, hey, take care, be watchful, Be on your guard that you would stand firm in the grace of God. Verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. But grow. Okay, be aware because there's all kinds of things that are going to pull you in other directions, especially in this time of waiting when things are not as they should be. So be on your guard, be alert, be aware, and grow. I love the tension of Peter and Paul. They both want us to grow. A parallel passage to much of uh, 2 Peter is in Galatians. There's a lot of overlap between 2 Peter and Galatians. And is that what Peter's referring to when he talks about the letters of Paul? We don't know. But there's tension between these two books. Even though there's overlap, Paul would say, hey, but walk by the Spirit. That's how we grow. We walk by the Spirit. I love the tension in that phrase. We walk by the Spirit. God is doing things in us as we participate with Him. Grow in grace. How do you grow in grace? Well, you ask God, God, would you do your work in me by your Spirit? Would you make your grace more evident in my life by your Spirit? And would you help me practice grace? Would you help me to live grace out? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we know Christ, as we love Christ, as we become like Christ, we experience His grace. And we live the life of Christ. Grow in grace and knowledge. It's a great bookend. Peter had started this way, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world 
because of sinful desire. How do we grow in grace and knowledge? Well, first we have to believe that it's by God's divine power that he's granted us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Guess what? We can grow. That's what he's saying. God's done a work in you by his spirit which enables you to become more and more and more like Jesus Christ. It is possible. So are you growing in that? Are you more like Jesus today than you were yesterday? Are you more like Jesus this week than you were last week? Are you more like Jesus this month than last month? Are you moving toward Jesus? It helps us to believe that he's given us everything if we believe that he's called us for his glory and excellence. It's part of our identity in Christ that we come back to over and over again. You are loved and you are called. God has a purpose for you in this place, in your life, in your circles of influence. He has a purpose for you to live out his grace. How do we grow in grace? Well, he's granted us some very precious and great promises. You fall on the promises of God and then live in them. A promise of God is that if you are willing to confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Do you fall on that promise when you find yourself in sin? Do you go, oh, yes, grace, and I just, I'm going to confess this, Lord. Do you believe that he's forgiven you and cleansed you from all unrighteousness? Or are you still living as if you're guilty and ashamed? God's great, great promise. Another great promise of God is, hey, I'm going to be with you all the time. Now, sometimes we go, I wish that wasn't true. That's when we need to confess and know that there's forgiveness. But do you believe that everywhere you go, at every moment of the day, that all you have to do is call out and say, God, I need you in this moment. And he goes, I'm here. I'm with you. I haven't fallen asleep. I haven't forsaken you. I haven't taken you somewhere where I'm not willing to go with you. I am with you always. Do you believe that the God of the universe, because of his grace, is with you all the time and is for you in those moments, for his glory, for his excellence? You live in the promises of God. It might be helpful this week to just find a promise of God. There's several ways to do that. There's um, some in Second Peter. You could just read through Second Peter. There's uh, some that were coming up on in Second uh, Corinthians in the Bible reading plan. When when I think of God's promises, I often think of you know the, when we are in Christ, we are a new creation. That's a promise of God that the old is gone, the new has come. That's a guarantee. 
Do you live in that reality? So that you can be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This week, I'm just praying that we would be partakers of the divine nature, that we'd actually live into who we are in Christ because we've experienced the grace of Christ. We can live the life of Christ. And we do that best when we do that together. Let's pray. Father, um, I ask that you would make your grace clear to us if it for some reason is not in our lives. Father, I pray that not just the grace of your salvation, but the grace of your presence with us, the grace of your ongoing sanctification in our lives, the grace of your spirit that is at work within us. Father, that our experience of your grace in our lives would compel us to live the life of Christ. Father, we're in a hard time of waiting. The new has not yet come. But we are loved and we are called. You have purpose in all of these things. Father, help us to walk well in your grace and with each other. In Christ's name, amen.